0: Hello, American Government and Civics. Welcome to your Unit 2 test review. This test uh, covers the Constitution and federalism, which is two uh, of the bigger concepts we deal with uh, in this class. The review can be found on Google Classroom, so uh, if you want to have it, you can grab it there and type along or follow along or just listen as you see fit. All right. So first up, we've got the amendments. Now, the thing to remember for this test is the the test is going to ask you questions uh, specifically about the amendments that are listed. And I I went ahead and listed all 10, so I'll talk about all 10 here. But just as you're preparing, hopefully you are, uh, memorize them. Okay. it's going to ask you questions like, hey, the blank amendment does this and tell you what the, the amendment does. It's going to give you some situation scenarios where, hey, if this happened, which amendment would that be? So just be prepared for that, okay? All right. So, uh, <clears throat> and then we'll talk about the second part of the amendment, the Bill of Rights, in a second. All right, so first up, the the, the, the First Amendment has five freedoms you need to remember. Speech, religion, press, assembly, and petition. Uh, the two we'll talk in depth about right now is speech and religion. So for speech, remember that... Uh, it covers both the written and the spoken. So a lot of people just think, "Hey, I can say whatever I want to." But it's it's um, uh, it also covers you know stuff that you write. Uh, it covers you know some of your uh, symbolic stuff, meaning uh, the clothes you might wear if you're going to protest something um, and things like that. Okay, so it, it, you're covered uh, through a lot of those things. And once again, remember, it's protection from the government. The government will not. Take away your right to free speech. However, individuals, corporations, colleges—all those sorts of things can take away uh, your free speech. They can censor you. There are social consequences to what you say. Uh, freedom of religion—you know, most people say, "Well, just hey, we can, we can do what we want to religious-wise," and that's true. But there's two clauses you got to remember, two important things. First up is Establishment Clause. Okay, this is the one that protects us from the government. The government cannot create a state-sponsored religion. There will never be a first church of the United States that we're forced to go to, okay? So the Establishment Clause uh, deals with us here at school. Um, you know, in the mornings, pay attention, there's no prayer. It's a moment of silence, and that way people can do what they want to because you're, as an individual, still allowed to pray. I'm not going to lead you in pray and in prayer. I'm not going to hold your hand before the test and say, hey, let's say a little prayer for you. that's never going to happen. Okay. Uh, but you can pray, you can, you know, whatever you like to do, uh, whoever you pray to and all that kind of stuff, you can say that to yourself. You just not going to have me involved. Okay. Um, and then the free exercise clause allows you to worship how you want to, as long as it's not illegal. So we're not going to be able to start up a, a religion where we do all kinds of drugs and whatnot. Um, and say, Hey, it's part of our freedom of religion. Well, you can't do illegal things. Freedom of press, pretty simple. The press can write what they want to. The government cannot stop them. Um, for the most part, there are some national security issues that might pop up. But for the most part, the press can write and critique the government as they see fit. Assembly and petition, uh, we don't talk about it too often because there's there's not a question on the test about it. But assembly, you're allowed to peacefully assemble and protest. And the petition, you're allowed to, to petition the government. You're allowed to ask the government uh, and talk and, and, and try and get them to do things. The right to bear arms is pretty simple. You have the right to your uh, guns, okay. And now this could come up. There could be a fight about this because I saw a tweet that President Biden wants to uh, ban assault rifles or assault guns or whatever. I can't remember what the tweet actually said and what all he wants to, to get rid of. But uh, that that's going to be challenged. No quarter of troops. You don't have to force, You can't be forced to house the military. They have places to stay. Number four, no unlawful search and seizures. So the the government, the police cannot come in and just randomly search you. They have to have reasons. And it has to be through a warrant where they suspect you of a crime and they want to look for evidence and they have good reason to look. It's not just, well, we think this guy might have been there. We would like to go search his house. They have to have a little bit more evidence to back that search warrant up than that. Uh, Probable cause. So there's somewhere that they have a right to be. And then uh, your permission. All right. So they have to have all those things in order to search. It's not just random searches. The exclusionary rule. This is what protects you from illegally obtained evidence. So I saw a tweet back in the fall and I've got it somewhere. I need to find it to find out exactly what it said. Uh, But I think there was a rapper, young thug, maybe. I can't remember his name. I need, to, I need to look it up, but I'm, I'm not going to right now. Anyways, uh, the tweet was about his lawyer having got some evidence kicked out because it was illegally obtained. So this happens and it happens more than we know. Now, a good lawyer is going to have to get it kicked out. The judge, the prosecution is not going to say, hey, we see that this is illegally obtained. It's going to be up to your lawyer to figure out, hey, this was obtained without a warrant. This was obtained without probable cause, whatever it might be. Number five, the rights of the accused. So that's where you don't have to talk. Okay, you don't have to talk to the police when you're being arrested. They cannot force you know they can question you, uh, but if you choose to stay silent, then that's your choice, and that's what I recommend. <clears throat> if you're ever find yourself in that situation, please don't. But if you ever do, uh, and you can't be forced to testify against yourself in court, so you don't have to get up on the, the witness stand uh, and talk because something you might say might incriminate yourself. So you can't be forced to do that. Uh, No double jeopardy. That is the fact they can't try you for the same crime twice. Uh, Right to a fair and speedy trial, the Sixth Amendment. So that is going to be all those things that come with your trial. You have a right to a lawyer. You have a right to a jury. You have a right to confront your witnesses. Uh, So you have all that stuff uh, that is guaranteed in the Sixth Amendment. The Seventh Amendment is your right to a jury in a civil case. Remember, civil case is person versus person. And I think I told you all the story of of how my father's estate was sued. Uh, So I was the the defendant in that because the person uh, thought we owed, or not we, but thought the estate of my dad uh, owed him some money. And so he sued us. Now, we as the defendant have the right to waive our right to a jury trial. And so we waived it. We did not bring in a jury. Number eight, no cruel and unusual punishments. So uh, most of the time, this jumps right to the death penalty uh, as being a possible cruel, unusual punishment. Um, but you know, it's, and it's just something that, that's always out there for court cases. Uh, however, just you need to remember this, the, the punishment has to fit the crime. Okay. They can't give you life in prison, uh, for, you know, running a stop sign or something like that. Um, it also deals with bail, you know, how much your bail is going to be. They can't make some outrageous number. And I told you the story of the, the podcast that I had listened to, uh, So you're listening to a podcast, and I'm talking about a podcast. Anyways, um, the guy had killed somebody in Texas. He had bailed himself out, and then he had ran and got caught and brought back. And so the judge set the bail at $3 billion. Well, that's excessive. All right, so he got talked down to $450. Anyways, uh, that's that one. Ninth, rights of citizens. So as long as um, the Constitution doesn't specifically deny us, then citizens have a little bit of freedom. All righty? And then 10, the rights of the states. This is the reserve powers. So we as states, as long as the constitution does it specifically tonight, we're allowed to do things. So think about some of the stuff that the states can do, um, such as marriage licenses, the education, your graduation requirements are set by the states because there's no mention of educational standards in the constitution. So it's left to the states. Alrighty. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, American Government Civics, welcome back. Uh, We're going to go over the principles and clauses of the Constitution now. So first up is limited government. So in the previous section, we talked about uh, the Bill of Rights. And those are the limitations. Okay, when you hear limited government, that just means there are limitations on the government. There are things, there are restrictions, there are things they cannot do. They can't unlawfully search and seize you. They can't take away your right to critique them. They can't take away the press's right to critique them. The government is limited. There are restrictions on them. Rule of law. Uh, The rule of law just means that everybody is going to have the law applied to them equally. Now, we can go in all kinds of different directions with this, of how it's supposed to be applied equally from top to bottom. So from the highest official, the President of the United States, down to me and you. Uh, The law should be applied to all of us the same. We can go demographics, race, sex, religion, age, whatever you want to talk about. Um, The law should be applied equally. All right. So that's what rule of law means. Federalism. One of the concepts of this unit was federalism. and That's the sharing of power. So you have the federal level up there in D.C. They make rules and laws we follow. You have the states and the state governments that we have to that makes rules and laws we have to follow. Um, It's that sharing of power. Excuse me. Separation of powers. This is the. Fact that we don't want one person, one group to have all the powers of the government and this was an idea that was created back when it was a monarchy okay not us as, as a, a, a country but uh the writer was over in europe during the time of the monarchs and was like the, the, there shouldn't be one person with all this power and all this authority and so the idea was translated to our government where we created the branches uh and we don't want one branch to have all this power and so we have the legislative branch that's going to write laws we have the executive that's going to enforce in the judicial, that's going to um, judge, interpret the laws. Now, that leads us into the checks and balances. Checks and balances, remember, this is going to be <clears throat> those branches kind of watching each other. So the president can veto laws. Congress can impeach the president. So there's things that keep one branch from becoming too powerful. Popular sovereignty everything's supposed to flow through us you know it's we are a citizen-controlled government and so the government up in dc down in atlanta uh, wherever the the mayor of you know our local cities are everything they do really should be geared toward us as citizens and our needs uh, you know our, our basic needs should be When they evaluate a policy, is this going to be good for my constituents? Is is this going to be good for my people? Is what they should be thinking. Okay. And that's popular sovereignty. Let the people have a say. Let the people have a voice. Judicial review this comes from Marbury versus Madison. And judicial review is what allows the courts, the Supreme Court specifically, to declare a law unconstitutional. So as long as a law is challenged, the courts can get it, they can review it, and they can decide if it's constitutional or not. Necessary and proper clause, the elastic clause. So the necessary and proper clause, this is the one where it allows Congress to kind of paint outside the lines. So you're looking at a document, the Constitution, article 1 says specifically what Congress is allowed to do. The necessary and proper clause, which is a part of that article, says, hey, as long as Congress is operating within this document, they can kind of go outside and they can do things that that might be needed. So this is kind of that fail safe to when, you know, they couldn't predict everything that's going to happen. And so they tried to, the framers did, but there's no way to to know everything that's going to happen. So this clause allows Congress to kind of work uh, within the document, but also outside of the document a little bit. So commerce, you know, that's something that's controlled uh, by Congress. And, you know, everything that deals with commerce falls under their purview now. And so they can, when I say they, Congress uh, can do things that are kind of outside of the commerce control uh, as long as they're working kind of within the the commerce clause. I know that's a, a lot of weird stuff there, but it just stretches their powers. All right, the commerce clause, this happened because uh, the federal government under the Art of Confederation had no power, no control over the, the commerce between the states, uh, foreign trade, so they wanted to make sure that uh, Congress and the federal government controlled the, uh, commerce. So they put it into the document, into the constitution. Supremacy clause, same thing. Weaknesses of the articles was that the national government was too, too, too weak had no control over the the states. So supremacy clause says, Hey, constitution is the, the number one thing. And then the federal government comes after that. Privileges and immunities. This is a state state thing as is the full faith and credit. Don't get them confused. Privileges and immunities. This just means that we as citizens are going to be treated the same from one state to the next. All right. So there's no special rules. There's no special laws that we have to follow just because we're from Georgia. When we travel down to Florida or we travel to New York or California or wherever we go, we're going to be treated the same. All right. Full faith and credit is more state, state stuff versus individual citizens. And full faith and credit means that states are going to honor other states, court decisions, contracts, and things like that. Remember, if you grow up, you get married, have some kids, get divorced, and you're asked to pay file, pay child support, you're not going to get out of that just because you leave the state and you go to a new state. You're still going to be asked to pay that child support. All right. Um, I told you I'm an example of full faith and credit. I got married in Florida for the first time, moved up to Georgia. We didn't have to get remarried. Georgia just recognized our marriage from Florida. Got divorced, didn't have to go down to Florida to get divorced, just Florida recognized that we got divorced here. Got remarried here in Georgia, didn't have to go anywhere to get, you know, as we travel and we've been to a couple different states, we don't have to get remarried every state we go to, just the states honor and recognize it. And if we were to ever move to a different state, they would honor and recognize that marriage. So that's full faith and credit. All right, let's take another quick break. This will be the last one. All right, welcome back. Let's finish this thing up. Uh, picking up with the compromises of the Constitutional Convention. So the Great Compromise is something that you've been getting for most of your school career. So hopefully you're familiar with it. The Great Compromise, this is the one that's going to combine the Virginia Plan and the New Jersey Plan. So remember the Virginia Plan had representation in our two-house legislature based on population. Little states didn't like it, big states did. The New Jersey Plan was based on equality. Let's have two houses that are, have all the same. So two, three, whatever the number they wanted, but everybody has the same amount. So they couldn't agree. And eventually they decided on the Great Compromise, which combined those two plans. It combined the Virginia plan. It combined the New Jersey plan. And now we have a two-house legislature, one based on representation, or excuse me, population, which is the House of Representatives, and one based on equality, which is the Senate. The Three-Fifths Compromise. So population was going to determine two things after the Great Compromise was finalized. Population was going to determine how much you paid in taxes as a state and also how much representation you had in the house. Well, the South decided we want the slave population to count for representation purposes. That gives the South more, and in the house that would give them more power, more authority. But when it came to taxes, the South was like, "Hey, we don't want the, the slave population to count for that." Now the North was the opposite. The North was like, "We want the slave population to count for tax purposes, but when it comes to uh, representation, they should count." And so they were at an impasse there, and eventually they settled on counting three fifths of the slave population for both taxes and for representation purposes. Commerce clause, this or excuse me, Commerce Compromise. This is going to deal with. Uh, tariffs and trade, and the slave population, uh, or the slave, uh, the importation of slaves. So uh, the issue was uh, the start tariffs. Okay, the North needed the tariffs because they dealt with with trade and manufactured goods coming in from other countries uh, that sometimes could undercut the American-made goods. So they needed the tariffs. The South didn't really like it because you know they were buying a lot of the those those goods coming from other countries and trading you know with their agricultural their crops and things like that Uh, so they also felt like the you know the tariffs would give the the federal government the national government the opportunity to to kind of regulate and affect the slave trade and so that's where all this comes from uh the commerce compromise is eventually going to say uh that the federal government will not mess with the slave trade for 20 years i think it was 1808 is when the the year finally came that uh, the national government was able to uh, affect the slave trade. All right. The powers expressed, those are just the enumerated, uh, the ones that are written in the Constitution. You can go to that document and you can find those documents. You can find those laws. uh, (laughs) I'm struggling right now. You can find those responsibilities for whatever government we're looking at. Delegated are just the powers given to the federal government, to the national government. Implied, those are those powers that come from that necessary and proper clause. So, hey, you can do this because it says in the Constitution that you can do that over there. So commerce equals a bank. So the, the Congress is able to create a bank in the United States. That was implied that they can do that. Concurrent, those are powers shared between the federal and state levels. So taxes, they can both tax us. That's concurrent. And then reserve, those are those powers left to the states. That comes from the Tenth Amendment. The amendment process, I need you to remember it's a two-part process. The national level, so the National Congress up in D.C., they propose an amendment if two-thirds of the full House and Senate, so two-thirds of 535, if they say yes, then it goes to the states for ratification. That's the second step is the ratification. So proposal and then ratification. Proposal and then ratification. So proposal is two-thirds of Congress Ratification is three fourths of the states. All right, Articles of Confederation, the weaknesses. Remember, the Articles was our first government, and it was an awfully weak government. Remember some of the problems there's no military, it could not tax, it could not regulate commerce. It took nine out of 13 uh, states to make a law, it took 13 out of 13 states to amend the Constitution. There's no federal court system, there's no executive. So all these problems are going to be uh, kind of exposed throughout the time of the Articles of Confederation. You know, Shay's Rebellion. If you remember that from U.S. history, uh, that's where the the farmers up in Massachusetts rebelled. You know, it showed a couple of different things about the the debt, the lack of the or the non-ability of the national government to pay their debts, uh, to pay the the former soldiers the pensions they were owed. Uh, they could not muster a military. You know, just all kinds of problems uh, were seen with the Articles of Confederation. And the framers were working in real time to try and fix those problems and those issues. And that's where the Constitution comes from. So a lot of the problems we see in the Articles and a lot of those weaknesses are fixed in the Constitution. Hey, there's no national executive. Well, Article Two creates the, the President, okay? Um, couldn't control commerce. Well, Article 1 says Congress can control commerce. So the Constitution tried to fix a lot of the problems that were created or were shown uh, in the articles. Separation of powers, we already talked about. Federalists versus anti-Federalists. You did some, some drawings uh, about this. Remember, the Federalists were for the Constitution and the strong central government. The anti-Federalists were against it. They were more about individual rights and state rights, and so that was their goal uh, was to protect those things. And that's why the Bill of Rights was born, because the Anti-Federalists refused to sign off on the new Constitution until our individual rights were protected, which they were not anywhere in the Constitution. The Federalist Papers were just the uh, papers that the Federalists wrote to try and get support for the Constitution, a series of 85 essays um, that they wrote.
1: And then Brutus
0: was just the Anti-Federalist response. It was written by Robert Yates, who was an uh, anti-federalist, anti-federalist, and basically was just responding to, basically both those papers were responses to, hey, this is the problem with the Constitution. So the Federalist Papers were the response to, well, this is why the Constitution will take care of that. Brutus and the anti-federalists, they wrote about why this was a problem, okay, so it was just that back and forth. Finally, is the Electoral College. The Electoral College is how we pick our president. So you will go vote in 2024. Most of you will be of age and you will go vote for whichever candidates are running. Your candidate has to win the state. So your vote doesn't matter. A lot of people say, well, my vote doesn't matter because Electoral College is picking the the president. Well, that's true. But your person has to win the state to get those votes. Georgia has 16 electoral votes. Georgia is going to be very, 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 very important to the presidential election in 2024. Um, so you need to get out there and vote because your vote does matter. All right. But it is how we pick the president. Uh, at this point, there is a group of people chosen and they will go vote, uh, after the states have finished their elections, they'll vote in December for the person that won that state. All right, guys, that is the review. If you have questions, please either talking point, text me, email me. Come see me in the morning. I'm here at 630. I'll be happy to try and answer any questions you might have about the test. All right, guys, I'll see you. Take care. Bye-bye.